0: shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside podcast. Episode 11. Uh, last week was a milestone Mike, cuz we had our 10th episode. And this is a milestone because we have our first call-in person, a first caller who isn't you calling uh, from abroad. Not from like Maryland to New York.
1: Yeah, uh, Maryland to New York is abroad.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's abroad from New York. We have um, on the line. We have uh, Michael Pina, uh, the freelancer of all freelance writers of MBA quality. Uh, ESPN, Rolling Stone, Fox Sports. What am I, what am I missing, Mike? Uh,
2: I had some things published on Grandland, uh, okay. Bleacher Report, and yeah, you pretty much touched all the bases, I think.
1: Okay. The only one that's missing is SB Nation.
0: Hmm. Interesting. There I wonder, go.
1: there's someone in charge of that that may be able to do something about it. I yeah. don't know who that is. We're going to have to yell at that person. Yeah, I'll reach out to, uh, <laughs> to
0: that Prada fella, see if we can figure that out. But uh, Mike, Pina, I appreciate you uh, calling in, man. You're in California, is that right?
2: I am, yeah. Sunny California on this beautiful St. Patrick's Day. Uh, That's man. right.
0: I had a great St. Patrick's Day in California like five years ago. I was in grad school, not a care in the world. I think I spent most of it in Venice. Uh, it was, those are fleeting memories. I worked all day today, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm having a beer now after work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened to you? Where did you go wrong? <laughs>
0: I don't know, man. I wish, I wish I had a good answer for that. I left California five years ago and I think about going back every day. Uh, but that's, that is a good segue because, Mike Pina, you are a, a Celtics fan by trait? You're from Boston, right?
2: Yes, I am. do
1: both
0: of those things. Perfect. And that's cool because well, I wanted to talk about the Celtics. One, one team we have not talked about on this pod very much is the Celtics, and we, we owe them that time. Um, they're playing solid enough basketball. They're positioned in a playoff spot right now, or right around the fringe of the eight seed in the East. And I want to get your opinion on that, man. So, are they a real eight seed? Um, is that something I should start putting into my my sports brain that they're going to be in the playoffs this year?
2: Well, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, uh, they're a really fun team. Um, they obviously don't have a lot of talent, which is something you you need usually need to make the playoffs in the NBA. <laughs> uh but they're 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 a sneaky deep team. Um, they're well conditioned. Uh, their bench is arguably more talented than the starting five. <laughs>
1: uh
2: so six through ten is I mean, you have Jay Crowder, uh Jurepko. they're they're very versatile. Um they they launch threes, they play smart and um yeah they're just a whole bunch of fun and and i haven't even mentioned isaiah thomas who hasn't played uh in the past few games and they keep rolling along even without him
1: yeah that's uh instead my man phil pressy stepping (laughs) in and kicking butt uh it's it's funny you started off that uh that answer by saying yeah of course i want them in the playoffs uh I'm not sure that every Celtics fan shares that opinion uh you know a lot of people are wondering whether it's better for them to kind of be in the lottery, uh, especially given some of the trades they made. Uh, why is a playoff spot a better thing than the a higher draft pick
2: well if it, if you're not getting a top three pick just that's just this is just my opinion if you're not getting a top three pick, then there's really no difference between. 15th or the 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever it is that they would get if they were in the lottery. Um, I, I really like the, you know, when you make the playoffs, as uh, I'll use Atlanta as an example. Atlanta made the playoffs last season, um, they kept all those guys together, and you saw what happened this year. And it's just uh, so as a Celtics fan, I would like to see them kind of uh, emulate the Hawks. Obviously, that's a ceiling that I don't think the Celtics could reach next season. Uh, but just being, uh, staying deep and uh, kind of continuing on with uh, established continuity, which is kind of a, a, a something that we're learning how to value even more every year. Um, so winning is good, and making the playoffs would be a wonderful experience for all the young guys on the roster.
0: Yeah, I think I think you nailed it there. Um there is something to be said for actually like gaining that experience. Um a building block such as a playoff run. And look, if they made the 8 spot, um, they would play Atlanta in the first round. Talk about emulating a team, getting to see firsthand, you know, how they operate and what got them to that number 1 seed. Probably would be good for the Celtics. I have some notes here, man. that kind of you you touched on exactly what i had written down here which is that uh, they have 10 guys playing over 15 minutes a game in the month of march alone uh, which which seems like something that doesn't happen in, in modern day basketball um uh, yeah. you're you're a wizards fan they play like four guys
1: well they should play four guys yeah. instead they play 11 right <laughs> so <laughs> right. Uh, yeah i i don't know it seems like a smart strategy for march i don't yeah. know if it's a smart strategy for uh, april may and june uh, but we'll see. You know, they're fun. I I love watching them play, and I love their announcers. Like I'm a Heinsen guy. I think he's fun to listen to. Like other people disagree, but I am all in on his homerism. Uh, <laughs> I'm all in on that. Like it, uh, he doesn't lie about being a homer. Like he gets made fun of on the broadcast about being a homer. So they're just a fun team to listen to uh, on the broadcast. Is Tyler Zeller good though? That's what I can't figure out. Is Tyler Zeller actually good, or is he like just like, it's March, everybody else is tired, he's stepping up, everybody else on the team can shoot, he has all the space he wants. It's a little inflated.
2: I, I like Tyler Zeller. I've loved him all year. He's probably a tease right now, I would say. Um, he's not a rim protector, even though he's seven feet tall. But I I, I can't think off the top of my head, of uh, any seven footer who runs the floor like he does. And he just wears guys out and he's been doing it all season long and he's it, it, a perfect fit in in Brad Stevens' system of just getting up get after after uh, getting stops they just push the ball up the court and Zeller's usually ahead of his man and it's it's really good stuff. Hmm.
0: I think it took us what ten, almost ten minutes to get to Brad Stevens. There, you must be thrilled to have him as, as the as the professor there, to have him as the coach of your, of your fine organization. Um, I, I think it's one of the best things Danny Ainge has done. Even almost more impressive than the trade that he made to bring in your big three originally, which which got you your modern day title here. But in getting Stevens, he lured somebody who I don't think had any interest and convinced him to take over a pretty bad situation, and that's already turned around so quickly. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you see in Stevens, uh, Pina, that, that that kind of leads you to have confidence in, in the future of the Celtics. It isn't just the, you know, Ainge is a good GM. It's a historical organization. What about Stevens always, uh, you know, kind of prides you on and makes you feel like this is the guy who's going to lead us, um, you know, to the next championship?
2: I love Brad Stevens. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny because usually you don't want the head coach to be the face of your organization, but right now it just really couldn't be any better with this guy. Um, the plays he calls out of timeouts are wonderful. I saw a stat on Synergy that was, I think, the Celtics have the sixth highest uh, uh, efficiency in ATOs um, this season. Uh, he plays top five. I, you know what? I saw that uh, Monty Williams was number one, which absolutely shocked me.
0: Yeah, he calls He's some cool good at stuff. That. Yeah, he is good at that.
1: Yeah, if he could call play every single time, <laughs> they they would have a really good team. I mean, I they did, do have a good team, but I need two have
0: minutes. It. I can get you a good play. Just yeah, give
1: me two minutes. Yeah. Like. yeah it, would they used to say that about Doug Collins, right? If he yeah. if he called a play every single time, they would score every single time. Uh, but yeah, so that that's interesting that he's all the way up there. He's got a cool little roster to do it.
2: Yeah, and uh, he he the the his ability to integrate all these new pieces is it's I think you 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 called him a wizard earlier. That's exactly oh, yeah. that's exactly what he is. I mean. They lose Rondo, who was the franchise player. They lose Jeff Green, who was their leading scorer. They lose Sollinger, who was their leading rebounder and a key piece of their front court and I mean, they plug in Jonas Chi Chi Chitome is like shooting the lights out, and <laughs> it's it's crazy and it's it's, it's just a lot of fun.
0: You're naming guys that, like—and so we the people who listen to this podcast, uh, I think we like to assume they're in the educated variety of the NBA fan. You're naming guys that they don't even know, and I appreciate that. Yeah, um, Phil Press, and yeah. Gigi to tell me. Uh, <laughs> quick sidetrack, Brad Stevens
1: definitely looks like a med school student, right? Yeah. We had this discussion we, last podcast.
0: And I, I said he would be the—I said he'd be the guy who would be the heart surgeon. No, he's too young for that. He's what what do, do-, do you think?
2: Yeah, you know I I— I actually was thinking about how you guys were, were debating the um the was it the district attorney or the yeah. uh, public defender
1: <laughs> yeah um,
2: i would throw I would throw Stevens in there i mean he's a, hmm. he's a calculating dude, and it's true. I'm, if I'm on trial for. Murder? If we're going that deep, then oh, uh, wow even, uh, yeah, if we're going that if we're going that deep, I want deep in my
1: corner. He, he okay. could also charm the jury. Like he could just kinda look at them and acknowledge them with a the little you know, raise his eyes and say, And this is why my client yeah, should get off.
0: His mom shows up, but I, I baked the jury some muffins. You know. <laughs> It's funny because, like, I think that you threw out murder, Peanut, and I think I threw out like public urination last week. So I like where our heads are at here. Um, either but, uh, or, either or, man. <laughs> let's let's hear more about why you threw out public urination. Yeah, That's no, no I, have, I have no history in that whatsoever. I swear, I, um, I have no comment on that. None whatsoever. But I, I'm so happy to have Prada and Peanut. What'd you say before? You, you had a good pun. Yeah, we're like
1: peas in a pod.
0: You guys are two peas on a pod. In this case, but oh,
1: yeah. how did how I does, not think of that? Wait, were you not wow. actually thinking that? No, I just I just thought the saying in the word P. See the P- letter P.
0: Pino, that's what makes Prada so special is that he could think of the pun but not even tie it in <laughs> to to the pod. Um You you guys have great chemistry. I just oh, wanna well, throw that in there. <laughs> oh, thank oh thank you. Oh thank you, man. Appreciate that. Are
1: and we would you say we're like Isaiah Thomas and Tyler
0: Zeller? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're
2: getting there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put you up there just yet, but you're
1: getting
0: there. Okay, good. We, we can only hope. But I'm also glad I have two guys who I absolutely trust the opinion of. Um, one of the cool things about doing this pod with Prada uh, is that when he says something, it's usually researched or comes from like a backing of he's actually written about it. And I'm just the guy who like has an opinion.
1: No, it's not. Yeah.
0: Yes. Right, yeah. But but the key here is we've been talking for weeks, uh, Pina, about this whole Houston Rockets, Portland Trailblazers thing. They're the 4-5 Uh, They've been in that range the whole year. Portland recently won the tie break for the regular season, uh, I think a week ago. So if they were to play, or uh, finish with identical records, Portland would have the home advantage. And we threw this out there before the pod, and you said you were a Houston guy. Mike Prada is the Portland guy. I want to hear the arguments for that 4-5 matchup. Pina, the floor is yours first to defend Houston.
1: All right, Mr. Brad Stevens, let's see your opening (laughs) statement. That's a lot of pressure.
2: But, uh, I I I wanna start by just saying that these teams are uh, both very good. Uh they're both very it's a very nah, nice, nah, tight. Uh,
1: no. And no, just just tell technical. me why they're better. No, none of this nice stuff.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. Um well first of all then uh let's let's scale back a little bit and we'll look at the rosters. And uh the Portland Trailblazers don't have Wesley Matthews the rest of the season. They brought in a follow. And that's great, but their bench is not experienced for the postseason. They'll be relying on guys like Myers Leonard, C.J. McCollum, Alonzo G. Meanwhile, the Houston Rockets have one of the deepest, subtly one of the deepest teams in the league right now. Um, They'll be bringing Josh Smith, Jason Terry, Corey Brewer off the bench. Um, Those are guys with playoff experience. Um, I
0: like those pieces right there a lot more than the Miles Leonard and in the columns of the world
1: that's great but who plays in the playoffs the uh the your seventh eighth ninth man or your top guys
2: okay well who's the best player in the series
1: i mean that's true but who's the guy who's the team that shut down the best player last year so there's history right? i mean uh, that's how we're arguing i understand but um
2: yeah if we're going back to last year i mean that was one of the closest that was a very very close series it was and LaMarcus Aldridge made some shots that he will never make again. So, um,
1: <laughs> that's, that's, but that's also that's, part of the point. There's this is the thing. I think Houston's a better regular season team, but you know, if you're going to a playoff series and you're thinking to yourself, how do I stop these teams? What is my plan? My plan for Houston, I think, is relatively simple. You're basically loading. A, you're taking an extra step to load to Harden. I'm not saying it's like something that everybody can do or anything. I'm just saying when you conceive of it, it makes sense, right? And then you're basically saying, okay, I want Trevor Reza, Patrick Beverly, all these other guys. They've got to make the. They got to make shots in a high-pressure situation, and we're gonna exaggeratedly run them off the line, and. You know, we're going to make – they don't have Chandler Parsons to exploit some of the lanes that are going to be there anymore. You know, in the the regular season, I think you can get by in the playoffs. I think that's going to be really tough. So the plan is simple. I mean, and I also think – I mean, I don't know what you think. I mean, Dwight Howard coming back, you know, on paper I think it's a boost. I just worry. I mean, they have a great thing going with their small kind of front court, and I don't know if Dwight will mess some of that up. You know, I have some concerns about that. Um. Yeah. I'm an eternal
2: eternal optimist. So uh, I look at the addition of Dwight Howard as this um, gigantic positive X factor (laughs) in Houston's favor. Uh, You could be correct. And he could, uh, he he could either uh, mess up what they have going um, or he could not be the same guy. And his knees are just not preventing him from being the athletic uh, monster that he was earlier this year. And in years past, um, But I look at the addition of Dwight, as a huge positive. Uh, The Rockets are a terrible uh, rebounding team. They have a small front line. And uh, going up against Portland, you need to be able to rebound the ball because they do that very well. Uh, Robin Lopez is uh, a huge uh, disruptor on the offensive glass, especially. And having Dwight in there to kind of neutralize that is huge. Plus, Dwight destroyed Robin Lopez last season. And... um, I would like to see him do
1: that again. Yeah, but they didn't win the series. That was kind of Portland's plan. Um, so I, <laughs> but I will, I will agree with you that reba- rebounding is a that's an important thing. I didn't think about uh, you know if Dwight comes back and he's like, you know what, I'm going to be a baseline cutter guy. I'm going to run pick and roll. I'm going to fit in. I'm going to dominate on dominate the paint. I'm not going to worry about touches. They're going to be really tough, but that hasn't been Dwight Howard in his career. I mean, you know, they don't run... Right now, I mean, if you play Howard, that means that you're not playing one of Mona Unit's Jones, and Smith, and you're playing one of them a little
0: less. And, you know, all those guys Who have, Who's the odd man out in that rotation? Well, I think it depends on a matchup, right? I mean... But they're all they're all shades of each other. It's almost not even matchup predicated. It's almost like hot hand predicated, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's yeah. probably another way to look at it. Sure. But, um, you know,
1: some of the... Jones needs his real estate on the baseline to be great. I think Modi Unis needs a few post touches, and I think Smith has got to have an open floor to play his game. And I just have concerns about that. Uh, you know, whereas I think with Portland, getting back to what I was sort of trying to get at earlier, mm-hmm. that's a team where your game – LaMarcus Aldridge hit some tough shots last year. You say he'll never hit them again. The thing is, though, LaMarcus Aldridge is going to get the shots he wants. It's very hard – to deny him his shots.
0: He's like Rashid Wallace. The ball yeah. comes out from eight and a half feet above his head. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: and you might you might be able to kind of contest them better. Mm-hmm. But he can hit tough shots. I mean, the only way you can really take them away is to front him and really be good with your weak side help. And that's really hard to do. So he, you have no answer. You're basically your answer there is do the best we can and hope he misses. And then when you combine that with Lillard, who is another one of those, look, he can just hit thirty footers. It's I mean, the first time
0: Lillard's been mentioned here. That's good. Yeah, he can he's hit thirty footers.
1: They still have. I mean, I know they don't have the bench, but they still have good, great spacing. But is playing a lot better. I mean, I think he was kind of the key of the team. If he's playing well, they're really tough. If he's not, I think they're beatable. Uh, you still have Lopez, even, even more so now with Matthews being out. One hundred percent. Yeah. So if all those guys are hitting shots, and that's the lineup you're going to see most of the time, you know, that's just there's no real offensive answer, defensive answer for that. I mean, you, what is your game plan? How so, do you, what, what is your plan
0: to stop? In let let me, let me jump in here, Pina, because i I'm, I'm on your side here. I, I disagree with Prada. Um, I've been a Rockets <laughs> fan this year for a number of reasons. I like James Harden a lot. Um, I have to mention the fact that usually a superstar the best player in the series, which I think you hit on, Pino, is that that's the player most likely to steal a game on the road. Um, Portland's a bad road team. They're a 500 team on the road this year. They're 16 okay. and Okay, they're,
1: they're an okay road team.
0: Okay, they're an okay road team. Um, Houston's a team third in the league in defensive efficiency. That usually travels pretty well. And when you bring the best player in the series with you in that traveling, I like that to steal a game, possibly a game one, maybe where the refs aren't sure how to call it quite yet. Harden gets to the line a little bit more than anybody else in the league. That type of advantage, I think, does travel well. And I also think the other thing with the series too is there. There's a payback thing because last year happened. That makes it more significant this year.
1: Yeah, I don't know in a series who would win. I'm just kind of thinking in terms of. Well, who that's who the would beauty be, of this speculation. Who, who, who would be play. who would have a better chance of winning an a series? Anyway, a series, okay. okay. I don't know. Uh, so, so
0: that's part of it. Um, you know, in terms of like being a 500 road team, part of what Portland is is that they are above average at defense. They're above average at offense, but they're not the best in that particular area. Houston's one of the most interesting teams because they are super high up in defensive efficiency. It's like a, a shade under being the top in the league. And then their offense kind of falls down a little bit, but it's because they've played in so many different types of situations this year. The Dwight Houston team was not a very efficient team. The without Dwight team has been significantly more efficient. I think they would go from like 13th in the league to like 7th. Would they really? Yeah. Huh. What was that okay. Does that shock you? Yeah, it does a little bit. Really? Dwight's not like a particularly gifted offensive No, I mean, I, I didn't think they were that great regardless, yeah. but anyway. No. Okay, but the, the idea, though, is that Harden is, is so good, and he's been so dominant this year. Uh, I think his uh, EWA, what does that stand for? That's uh, wins uh, above replacement, basically, like how many wins he's affected effective win advantage, I think that's what it is, is like just behind Anthony Davis. And that's not even fair because Anthony Davis is like six guys on the court at once. Um, so, so Pina, I've always, I've, I'm have always, i on your side here, man. I think Houston's a slightly scarier team. I think if you're um, uh, a Golden State or if you're a Memphis, you'd rather see Portland's team walk in the door than see James Harden's face walk in the door.
2: Yeah, and you bring up some good points with uh, Houston's defense, which uh, I think you just said it was third in the NBA since, uh, the all-star break. Um, mm-hmm. meanwhile, Portland, I mean, the starting five with a follow, uh, the sample size isn't huge so far. And I know that it's difficult to integrate a new player into this into this, uh starting five that's played so many minutes together with Matthews there. Uh, but they've been getting shredded, uh, defensively. And I think it's a real concern that they don't, they play very conservatively and they don't, um, uh, they don't force a lot of turnovers. And, um, I think that's a concern, and and uh, and yeah, scoring on Houston's defense, which is so much better than it was last season. Ariza over Parsons is, is a
0: huge, a huge upgrade. I agree.
1: Yeah, but in a playoff series, I think it's just you have to throw a lot of this out because it just depends on what who can guard who, like, and how you isolate that. So, but you like
0: Ariza on Batoon, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not saying when they play. I'm yeah. just saying. The re- one of the reasons Portland was so tough for them is that you can't you can't hide Harden against Portland. Mm-hmm. You know they 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 have three guys. Now on the flip side on the flip side you can hide Lillard, which is I think Portland's big bugaboo is that someone's going to look at Lillard and just go after him. It's a good point. Um, and, you know, their bench is playing better. I mean, McCollum looks a lot better than he has at the start of the year. This Leonard's is his time open. of year, too. It's March. This is it when is. He, beats,
0: he beats Duke this time of year. It is. Yeah. And
1: he will beat the Dukes of the uh, – no, I can't transition there. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Where's that I, I can't. I can't do it. Uh, uh, well, you know, then, Leonard's yeah. playing better. Darrell Wright's giving them some minutes. They have some experience with Blake and Kamen. Uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm still – I'm still riding poor. I think their defensive problems are overblown because in a playoff series, you can you can stick a flallow on one guy, he'll up his energy. You can kind of Aldridge. You can do a lot more with him with switching on point guards and all this stuff. You know, you can kind of game plan a way to explain a lot of the problems that I think the dregs of a regular season kind of may cause.
0: Re- real quick, um, who's the better coach in that series? Should they play?
1: I think Terry Stotts is. Better than Kale. It's
0: stats. It's stats. Yeah, so that that might be an X factor. We can revisit that. This is a good argument to be uh to be revisited because there's a good chance these teams do match up in round one, um, or if at the very least both teams can make some noise, and we shall see. In the Western Conference playoffs, it should be wide open. Real quick, who do you think Houston's worst matchup is, Mike?
2: From what perspective?
1: Sort so of like a team? possible first rounder, not like Golden State.
2: Um, I mean. Memphis isn't playing very well right now, but that front line would probably eat eat the Rockets alive if Dwight isn't one hundred percent. Um so that's that's worrisome. Um yeah, I
0: they, agree haven't,
2: with that. they haven't really played. I don't know. I'm looking right now at the the standings. Just making yeah, it forward. The
0: West is the West is so tight right now. Golden State obviously just clinched their playoff spot last night, but Memphis is uh let's see. Memphis is Five games up on the Clippers, and that's the two to seven. Everybody else is in between. Yeah. Wow, that's tight. That's crazy. And then you have, uh, let's see, Memphis is two games ahead of Portland. Portland is a half game ahead of Houston. Houston is two games ahead of Dallas. Dallas is a half game ahead of San Antonio and the Clippers, who are tied. Wow, that's crazy. See, I think Portland does not want to see the Spurs. Yeah,
1: I mean, who wants to see the Spurs? Spurs, No, I know. I know yeah. what you're saying, but like yeah. I think some teams can handle the Spurs. I'm not sure Portland can. I, Portland doesn't want to see Memphis either, but nobody but wants to see I, Memphis. Your, your Lillard
0: point gets gets exacerbated when you play a guy like Tony Parker, mm-hmm. right? Because there's no hiding him. Parker will go at him nonstop. Yeah, um, you'd so, have to put Danny Green on him, right? Or Lillard on Danny undue, Green, yeah, exactly. I think
1: the bigger problem is that the Spurs can guard Aldridge like very few teams can. I mean, that's the key to Portland. Sure. If you can stop Aldridge, you're you're golden. I don't think Houston can stop Aldridge.
0: No, that's, that's interesting. I want to I wanna stay in the West. Um, Pina, one of the funniest things about Prado and I is that uh, he told me that the Utah Jazz were going to make the playoffs next year, uh, two months ago. I'll give you all the credit in the uh, world One month that. ago. A month ago, okay. Well, Still, a long, <laughs> that, enough, a long <laughs> enough period of time ago that uh, yeah. it did supersede uh, Cantor being traded. And uh, and Mike has been ahead of the curve with the Jazz. Peanut. <clears throat> <Pina>, why... <laughs> Why are they the best team in the NBA right now? And Prada, you can go after this because you've already you, you like the Jazz. Why? Why are the Jazz holding teams to like sixty five points, and making everyone look like toddlers? I mean,
2: Rudy Gobert is uh, he's a good basketball player, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I, <laughs>
0: yes, he is. Yeah,
2: and, and uh, but that that front line is great. I I love favors. I really think this is kind of his. I read something a little while ago about him, and I, I really think that. Um, He's kind of been uh, the last few years the I, I read that he was the Meryl Streep of um, like breakout <laughs> player list. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's good. Him. Who's who, who wrote that? Was that? Did you write that?
2: Yeah. And uh, that's
1: good. <laughs> I wish I thought and, of that.
2: And I feel like this year he's finally he's winning that Oscar. This is the year that he he actually <laughs> is breaking out and.
1: So, so who is the Gordon Hayward of the uh, – who, who which actor does he
0: correspond to? <laughs> Man, I wish I had a good answer for that. Yeah, I, I should not have brought that up without yeah, a good answer. He's one of the better supporting actors in the league. I guess he's a lead role. He's like the Miles Teller. Oh, I like oh, that. That's a good one, too. That is good. Yeah. Man. These LA people know Hollywood. I know. I know. He has to be well-versed. Uh, he has to be well-versed in the <laughs> world of the Academy Awards. <laughs> well, the, the thing about the Jazz, which has been so interesting to, to, to me, at least, was that um, when I look at teams that I think have a good chance of being successful next year, uh, there are a few teams that come to mind, and for like... A myriad of reasons. So uh, the Knicks could make the playoffs in the East next year, even though they are a laughingstock of the NBA this year, because that's not going to be the same roster. There's three guys who are going to be left from that team, and a healthy Carmelo, and a number one pick, and all the money they're going to spend in free agency. But the Jazz will be this team next year. They're figuring out that Rodney Hood can play. I got to believe Dante Exum's going to keep getting better, and he Mm -hmm. seems to be getting a little better each game. Hayward's still a young guy, and Favors might be the youngest old guy in the NBA. He's been in the league now for, what, five years? He's yeah, 24?
2: Yes, yeah, insane. And he's 23 years old.
0: 23. Years Twenty-three. Old. It's amazing. He's getting amazing. physically stronger still, a lot stronger. He hasn't even gotten close to his like mental apex, yeah, and yet he's amazing. getting better and better and better. And then you combine that with Gobert, who takes a lot of the stress off all those guys. If you get beat, it's okay. The tallest dude in the world is next to you with mean, the standing reach of nine foot eight, people are afraid to go to the rim. The Charlotte game last night, it, it reminded me of a, like a high school game when there's like a division one power forward or center, and he's by far the best guy on the court, and the other team is legitimately afraid to go to the basket. And that's what it looked like last Man. night. Man. Um, and that's a that's a powerful place to be. Yeah, you also
1: didn't mention they get Alex Burks back next mm-hmm. year. That'll help their backcourt. They have a lottery pick. They're going to get a lottery pick, right? Yeah. You know, right. I mean, what are, what are they going to Going to probably get like the ninth pick, eighth pick. Yeah, the back end of it, but still. Yeah. What? So you wrote about Derek Favors, um, Mike, and uh, they were so reluctant to play Favors and Gobert together early in the year. I remember. I think they were trying to figure Canner out and. Quinn Snyder wanted to have a team that could have a stretch four and those two guys don't do that how good do you think do you think they could be pushing for a playoff berth if they push for that lineup a little sooner the Hayward the favors go bare uh front court
2: I think it will be I think they're a monster defensively I think uh you you mentioned Exum because he's he's Mm -hmm. really good uh already on the defensive end I think uh his his strides to go on the other end but um he's really splashing uh, some pretty high potential um, as a defender uh, at the point of attack, which is great. Um, but but uh, Favors and Gobert are definitely an intriguing uh, front-point com- combination when Utah has the ball, right? Um, because, I mean, Favors is trying to establish this mid-range j- jumper, and it's it's okay, but it's not really what you would like out of out of a modern day power forward right now so i don't know i mean if if he can kind of solidify that get up to uh 38 40 percent uh then it opens up a little bit of space uh but but uh i don't know i mean like i said on a defense doesn't yeah. seem to be a problem but but so- uh
0: so, uh Pina, one of the funny uh, other aspects of this is that I'm such a big Ernest Cantor fan. I think that he has offensive You're game- such a big fan of his, you don't even know his was, name. <laughs> whatever, however, Enos... Enos, Enos Cantor. Ernest, Enos, he... Um, uh, it was a guy. He has who, a like,
1: twin brother in the uh, anti-state. What's who's like the complete opposite of State Farm, like the terrible insurance company <laughs> yeah, that doesn't earnest. throw assists. <laughs> Enos, because the State Farm's about assists and I'm, he never passes the ball. I'm you a, see what
0: I'm saying? Leave him alone. <laughs> he's a good clean boy. <laughs> Let him sleep in your bed, Mike. No, he's. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of Cantor because I think that there's uh, plenty of guys in the NBA who don't play any defense. He happens to get picked on for not playing much defense. And then everything was kind of uh, you know, exacerbated by the fact that the Jazz defense excelled so much when he left. It's sort of like one of those Rudy Gay trades where a team just starts excelling, hitting their stride when another guy is gone. But it's not necessarily because that guy was a bad player. It just wasn't the right fit for the team. I think Kanner is now one of the most important players in the league playing for Oklahoma City, especially given Ibaka's four- to six-week injury, which... Let's be real. They better not rush him back. All they've done this season is rush guys back to have him get hurt again. And they need him uh, long, long term as well. So I think Cantor now is in a very powerful position where he is supposed to score. They need offensive production from him, Mike. Now, you tell me, Prada, because you're such a big hater on Cantor. You, he sends me a, a, a clip of him just meandering around the court defensively last night. And I said, that's yeah. fine. He had another double-double, though. He he ran
1: out on a uh, yield like this. Uh, <laughs> did you watch the Mavs game, Mike?
2: Uh, I saw the first half.
1: Yeah, so there's a play in the fourth quarter where it's the end <laughs> of the shot clock, and he's just like running around with like, a headless chicken. And then they throw it out to Rondo from like 20 feet away uh, on the wing, and Dirk's at the top of the key, and Canner runs to Rondo and leaves Dirk wide open for a three. <laughs> Which is like, look, I mean, people make mistakes all the time like that, but that's part of the problem with him. You know, it's got to be so super simple for
0: him because he just doesn't have great encore and awareness. But if if we're praising favors for being for hitting his stride now a little bit into the league, Cantor's a young guy too, man. He's a young guy who didn't even get that year playing at Kentucky. He had to sit and watch. Uh, comes from a background where he probably was the best guy on the court. Where's he? Where's he from? Is he Turkish? Is it? Where's he from? He's he, Turkish. Turkish, right? So he's coming from a background where, I mean, defensively he was probably more than adequate his whole life, and offense was the thing that, you know, chicks dig the long ball. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> great Turkish
1: accent.
0: My I friend. can tell you've been practicing that one for a long time. <laughs> That's just my middle, uh, middle, uh, what's that? European, Asian accent. That that middle, uh, yeah. Eurasian accent. Yeah, no, but, but you're right.
1: I mean, he is young, and there's more you know, credit
0: to be given than I think we we look for his flaws, and we do that in, all the time with young guys who kind of haven't hit their full on stride yet yeah are you a, are you a canner guy Mike
1: uh, I like
2: what I've seen since the trade uh, I think he's important like uh, like Ben was saying I think he's an important piece right now especially with the bucket down um, I would not want uh, I'm gonna put my fan hat on and I, I would not want <laughs> the Boston Celtics to sign him this
0: summer ah, but um, dang it I'm sorry Ben but it's okay it's okay well he doesn't really fit what they do so <laughs> I can see that no that's true. That's true. Like So so tell me, uh, Pino, on a playoff caliber team, he's not even as valuable as, say, Brandon Bass would be to a team, is he?
2: Uh, is that an it, is, if Cantor could be more valuable than Brandon Bass.
0: Yeah, like on a playoff team. Like, on, like this year. This though. year on Oklahoma City, who moves the needle more for them, Cantor or Brandon Bass?
2: I think Cantor's a handful down low, and, and he's really tough to stop. I mean, besides Adams, it's a perfect kind of Situation for them uh, on both ends because Adams is just kind of like that—that that big guy who defends the post and mm-hmm. protects the rim. Um, so if Cantor's hitting shots and kind of bullying people down low, I like that. I like that for them. Um, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm just really depressed overall with what's happened in Oklahoma City. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. To
2: Same really way. focus
1: on Enos Cancer. <laughs> yeah. It's, That's okay. They they this can bring Durant to Washington. Yeah. Right. And it's all everybody's gonna be happy because of it. But
0: we'll have plenty of time to yell about Canner on other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, no. I, I think <laughs> Pina, I think you hit it on the head. We we all have to put that fan hat on when you talk about Oklahoma City because as a, if you're a fan of basketball, you're a fan of Oklahoma City. I don't uh, care where you're from. Well, now, Ah, come on! You root for guys like Kevin Durant. You root for guys like Westbrook who leave it all out on the court. Um, you root for the 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 middle of America team that doesn't have other fa- like. I, there's no football. I can't team root for their owners. I'm saying like, look, I, I have nothing against the Dallas Mavericks, but I don't like the Dallas Mavericks because I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't no, have any of that, that. Doesn't make any sense. Ah, sports cities are sports cities. Like, Pina. No offense, man. I don't like the Celtics. Uh, because I don't like the Patriots and I don't like the Red Sox. And when my dad was you know, telling me about how and who I should root for as a kid, uh, the Sixers and Celtics actually mattered at the same time. Now, that, in our lifetimes, that's never matched up. So I really don't have a reason to dislike the Celtics, but I, I do. It's a Boston-Philadelphia thing. I don't have that with Oklahoma City because they don't have anything else. So I root for them to succeed. It's uh, it's always been a team who I think neutral fans can can kind of flock to
1: until they realize that their owners are horrible people. Are they? Well, that's probably a little harsh, but no, they're not great people. No, I'm not gonna take it back. See, they're, and that, they're not good people,
0: and but that that's okay. Um, one of the other parts of being a fan is that we, I, for at least uh, for me, Mike, I. Uh, I try to anticipate and, and, and uh, guess what guys are thinking on the bench, right? So the body language. Um, I wanted to talk about Kevin Love with both you guys because last Thursday was one of the best games of the NBA season so far. Uh, Cleveland-San Antonio played what felt like a playoff game, even though it was just a regular season game. And there was one major part missing, and that was Kevin Love's presence in the game um, and for the entire fourth quarter and overtime. Um Pina, what do you what do you think about that, man? Is it is it the the bad fit finally kind of manifesting itself in his overall aura, like how he handles himself as a professional, or is it the type of thing where he might get called on and he might end up being the difference between them winning the championship, and that just hasn't happened yet, and we gotta wait for that.
2: It's tough. I I think the situation is, uh, I wouldn't call it a total full blown disaster or anything like that, but it's not been ideal. Uh, I think. Before the season started, a lot of us thought that the pieces would fit better than than they have. And on paper, it makes so much sense uh, for, to have him on the floor and spacing the floor with LeBron and Kyrie. Um, but I mean, he hasn't really played that well, and they haven't used. It's a combination of him not playing uh, up to his ability, and which I mean. Is his back a problem? I don't. I don't know if if his back has been a problem all year, or, or yeah. at least in recent weeks. How how much that's affected his game, especially rebounding the ball. Um, but uh, I actually looked up this interesting stat. Uh, last season, he was the thirty. He ranked thirty sixth in true true shooting percentage last season, and this year he's eighty sixth. And it's huh. interesting because um, I mean his usage is lower, so you would assume that his efficiency would go up. And he's playing beside these superstars to attract all this attention, but it just has not worked out that way. So, um,
1: do you if, buy the the common? I hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. The common narrative that he's being misused. Um. So,
2: if you look at synergy, uh, he's in the They're using him in the post today. about a quarter of his possessions are post ups, and he's one of the better post-up scorers in the league uh and everyone wants that number to kind of go up a little bit um how many touches he gets down there um, but I'm I'm fine with him being outside uh shooting threes I mean he doesn't he he's repeatedly said publicly he doesn't consider himself a stretch four but I mean basketball is a funny game and even though you're a superstar uh in Cleveland you're not really a a, a superstar that you need to just fit your role and do it what can best help the team win games, so um, don't you
1: think that they can move him around a little bit more though I mean what I remember from Minnesota what was so striking is not you know he he did get a few more post touches uh he certainly. In crunch time, obviously. Uh, but they also used him, like, as decoy, and they had him running around in different sets. And they had that really cool thing they used to do where he would kind of take a handoff and then take a screen from Ricky Rubio and step back for three. Mm-hmm. They did all these weird things. And a lot of the time it feels like, I mean, there are some times where you see the potential for him to be the world's greatest decoy unlocked. And the Cavs look really great when that happens. But there are just a lot more times I feel like he's just standing in, standing in a corner. I mean, I don't know what you think, then.
0: Yeah, no, no. So uh, that's a big part of this, right? Is that um, he's had 15 of his 64 games this year where he scored under 10 points. Now that's fine if you're Rudy Gobert and you're putting 20 boards on the you know in the stat sheet and blocking three shots, and or you're Nerlens Noel and you're you know getting seven deflections and four steals, but The thing is, when Love isn't putting those offensive production numbers out there, he's not doing it on the defensive end. That's never been a strength of his. And then when he's also stretching out and and having to play that corner decoy, he's also not down low rebounding. So now you've taken away the two strengths of his game, his offensive ability and his rebounding game. And one of the aspects of his rebounding game is he's one of the better positional rebounders. It's not an above-the-rim rebounder. It's really hard to get that position when you're starting from 20 feet away from the basket. Um, there's other parts of this too. He's never played with a power forward who's crashing the rim. I'm sorry, a small forward who's crashing the rim like LeBron. He also is playing oftentimes in sets with guys like Tristan Thompson, who just park themselves underneath the basket, taking up the space that he usually occupies. So it's a weird fit and it's up to Blatt to make that work. But the problem is Blatt's not. He's saying it is working right now. We are winning a lot of games. Therefore the, the odd man out in this equation of how we fit is love. Now now, the question is, does that limit their overall ability in the end, at the end of the day? Should they play the Hawks, lose the, say, first two games on the road uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then have to regroup and say, well, what are we going to do to win this series? And the answer could be very, very well be, against a, an undersized team like the Hawks, more Kevin Love. Now, at, at that point in the year, it's hard to make that adjustment. So I'm, I'm not sure, uh, Pina and Prada here, I'm not sure what the, the necessary move is within the constructs of this roster that they put together now. Uh, in adding Jr. and adding Shumpert, adding Mozgov, you put a lot of different pieces around that do not complement Kevin Love at all. Um, so it's, it's definitely one of those things that I'm not sure there is a real answer for that needs to play itself out. But those valuable crunch time minutes, the fourth quarter and overtime of the game against San Antonio where you can find those things out that do parlay into a playoff scenario, he's not on the court, so you're not figuring anything out. All we learned was that Kyrie Irving is a Look up. I, I got to raise my hand. Yep. Mike, I'm Here we go. Pray to Bring right, it Here on. we go. Let's yeah. go. All right. So, Let's go. Uh, I've been pretty outspoken about my um I think Kyrie is an incredibly gifted player, but I don't think he's a good point guard. And I think that one of the things I have said in the past, that he's a he makes a tremendous scoring guard, and it really depends on wasn't putting the right pieces. You,
1: wasn't he off your all-star team? He was
0: not on my all-star team. He's the <laughs> only, I guess he's got the two highest point totals in the league this year now at 55 and 57. And the fourth quarter and overtime of the game against San Antonio was probably, I don't know, one of the five or six best offensive performances I have I have ever seen. Uh Barkley said the same thing. Uh, LeBron had this one play in the middle of the fourth quarter where he, he took a, a rebound. He threw it up ahead to Kyrie. And I think he said something like, you go, boy, something like that. And you could hear it. It was audible. And from that point on, it was, that's what it was. It was Kyrie playing at Duke. Uh, I, bring, I brought this up a number of times. I saw Kyrie playing against Michigan State at uh, Cameron Indoor, and it was like that. It was just a bunch of guys watching him destroy everyone else. So he has an, uh, an ability that, man, I I don't know. Pina, how many how many guys in the league realistically could get 50 and do so in a way that Kyrie did uh, like he did the other night?
2: I that's a very small number I would, I right. would put. Uh, I mean, yeah, you talk about like the – just hitting shots with a hand in his face. And not even, like, the the fingertips just, like, inches away mm. from the ball. And he just, it's like the defender isn't even there. And he was, like, against the Spurs, that's one of the best defensive teams in the league with some of the best individual defenders. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. late in the game, they were switching um, a lot of pick and rolls, and Kawhi Leonard ended up on Kyrie. And I think Kawhi is uh, probably the best, in, in my opinion, the best perimeter defender in basketball. And I mean, mm-hmm. Kyrie just diced him up. It was like, yep. you know, what are you, you going to do with this guy?" He's—I mean, I—I've I've always really liked watching him. I thought he, he's been—he's been marvelous the past couple of years. Um, I, I kind of don't really—I I understand the, the the statements about how he's not a true point guard or, or, or a quality guy that you want running the team or running the show, but I really don't—I don't really care at all I, yeah i just
1: think that yeah. nah I, ben ben was wrong all along it's okay
0: ben was wrong mike was right <laughs> Thank in, you. in this in this regard and I, I will give you that but i will say that he does benefit from the fact that uh lebron no is, no, is no, his, no, no, is, no 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 <laughs> no we're done okay fine, <laughs> fine fine fine
1: <laughs> yeah but you know you bring up a good point earlier it's like you know yeah they, they've got lebron they've got Kyrie, and they're both playing great they have uh, J.R. Smith playing well. They have Shumpert. They have Mozgov. You know, if it gets tight, though, you know, is this inability to maximize Kevin Love going to cost them? And I thought it was interesting in the last Hawks game that was a couple of year, a couple of weeks ago, they, there was a stretch in the third quarter where they started to use Love as kind of this pick-and-roll decoy where he ran away, uh, you know, and then they got a lot of points off that in the third quarter. And then I thought they went away from that in the fourth quarter. And I thought they lost the game because of that. You know, that that's something that I would have liked to them to have continued to do. So it's gonna be interesting. I, mean, I I that's a tough series to call.
0: Yep. No, I agree. Um I wanna get a few things uh running a little low on time. So Pina, I wanted to ask you, man, you just wrote a um a piece for Rolling Stone on on Kevin Garnett and and I've been pretty outspoken on KG. I, I've always said like in another world, he's the guy who you know you get cigarettes from in prison, or who like what? he's the bad guy who like he's he's beat up everybody in your high school. I've never been a huge Kevin Garnett fan. I look at him as a bully, a bad guy. But you seem to think he is the exact opposite. He's the guy you need to have on your corner, the guy you need to have in in your uh, t- to help make those younger players understand what being a professional is like. And after reading your piece. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. I, I tend to agree with you. I think you did a really good job of shedding light on on the positives, the the other side of Kevin Garnett that actually is uh, a really good person.
2: I basically, he, uh, Kevin Garnett, I'll just start at, like, I, I can't even, I'm so biased whenever it comes to this guy. <laughs> I love him so much. He, <laughs> he, he brought such happiness into my life five or six years ago, whenever it was. Or seven years ago now, I guess, which is really sad to think about, but, um, <laughs> he's tremendous. And, um, so I was in the locker room when I was in Minnesota's locker room. Um, I talked to a few players and they all, I mean, they, they were so energetic to talk about Kevin Garnett and the, the positive impact he's had. And they wish that he was, uh, on the team since day one. And they wish that he was in training camp. Um, mm-hmm. they really hope that he doesn't retire. And It's just, uh, I don't know how you quantify what he does, what that is, and and him just talking to guys on on flights and locker rooms and and a shower, whatever. Uh, I don't know how you quantify that advice, but uh, I think there's an impact there and there's an influence. And uh, that doesn't even bring into play the fact that I still think that he can kind of contribute on the court still, right? So he's not what he was, but he's a, still a really good defensive rebounder he's smart he communicates on the floor uh and yeah. he can shoot so i i personally would really like to see him stick around and kind of influence all these young guys especially if uh if minnesota gets one of the those big dudes i haven't been watching yeah. thing that yeah. far but town yeah, before be, i mean yeah, that would be yeah. you got to keep him around
0: yeah no i i look at uh i think i look at kevin towns and think like he Carl stole, Towns. Carl, Carl, Carl Towns. Why am I all, I'm all messed up? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Kev, Kevin Towns is also the State Farm brother. It was a god. You know what's funny? Kevin Towns was a player at my high school. That's why uh, I screwed that, that one up. That, that, my I know you were but thinking of
1: Path. Uh, past athletic glory.
0: Carl. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Carl uh, Towns um, kind of has like a hyper version of a, a more advanced game than, than almost anybody who's in the 18, 19-year-old big man game. but. Kevin Garnett could have a profound influence on him. You made a good point in in your um, your piece you said he's the type of guy who probably could go to a and chase a second ring on a contender and be a part of that team in the right, you know, 15 minute span. But that this is kind of the path he chose to be the mentor instead. And I thought that was a really positive point about the, you know, the the mental and, and emotional makeup of a guy like Garnett.
1: Yeah, real quick, uh, what was the best uh, anecdote quote Story, whatever that hit the cutting room floor on that piece.
2: Okay, so Doc Rivers told a story about uh, the night of it was Game Six, I think, of the 2008 Finals, and Kevin Garnett was literally bouncing around in the locker room, and he he was just kind of bothering everybody to a degree that was alarming, <laughs> and so <laughs> Doc Rivers, this was a few hours before the game, he. He basically was like, "Come in my office," and Doc shut the door, and he, he just told him to take a seat in the corner, and <laughs> <laughs> and Doc sat down at his desk and was continuing to do what worked, or whatever he was doing, and um, <laughs> after a few, <laughs> after a few minutes, uh, KG, who was just like breathing really loudly and literally fuming in this chair, and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> and he he
0: looks up and he's just like, I'm in time out, aren't I? <laughs> that's, fast. That's, that's fantastic. Go sit in the corner, KG. Yeah. Because I, in your head you have like, I'm picturing like a little kid looking sheepish, but it's like a seven footer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know how when he does this thing where he's uh, against the stanchion and he puts his head, yeah. like, I imagine you doing that in the ceiling.
0: next to the wall that is a great story Um, that is fantastic good stuff man um last couple things i gotta plug a piece on sb nation uh it's running today we put it up today uh it's uh called the countdown to march the life and death with a small town team um it's about the valparaiso college basketball team but more importantly about the valparaiso high school and the people around the community the city and town of Valpo. It's written by one of my best friends in the whole world, Justin Paul, another great freelance writer. Uh, So I ask everyone to try to read that, try to get it out there and and share it with your friends. It's a really good piece. And if anything, it'll make you remember high school, what it's like to be from uh, a small town, uh, maybe if that's middle America or in the suburbs, wherever you may be from, probably touches a number of emotional chords. But um, I want to get lastly from both of you. We talk MBA so much. Who's winning the NCAA tournament? Mike Prada.
1: I've watched five college games, so I'm just going to pick Kentucky. That's Kentucky. Okay. Now, in my bracket pool, I'm picking not Kentucky because I feel like that's a losing strategy to pick Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So my bracket pool, I'm picking Arizona. Okay. Mike. Oh, Peter.
2: Jesus. That's exactly what I was going to say. Except <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I've watched uh, I watched one possession of college basketball.
0: <laughs> wow! This, year, and it was, this makes uh, me the the aficionado.
1: I mean, you yeah, know. you are. I I thought I avoid, I watched like Michigan State Maryland at the gym. That was my fifth college game.
2: <laughs> no, I was watching. I flipped to. I was cooking dinner and I flipped to um, Duke UNC, and mm. uh, I saw Okafor sprain his ankle. And then I changed. The oh. that, was literally <laughs> the, that was literally the only moment of college basketball I've seen.
0: So on that note, you're also picking Kentucky, I'm assuming. Yeah.
2: yeah <laughs> oh, Arizona.
0: You said Arizona. I apologize. Yeah, I was.
2: I was actually. I, I don't want to take Kentucky because then I figure that whoever, everyone's going to take Kentucky, and if they win it all, then all the other points in the first round, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, it gives me no chance right. of winning. So I'm. Um, I got to play. Play it risky. So um, I'm thinking either Arizona or, I guess Wisconsin. Wisconsin's cool, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're they're both in the uh they're both in the Midwest, I believe. Oh, then that's uh, not who do you work at all. Yeah. Well no, but they would play in the Elite Eight. So one of them would come out to the Final Four, mm-hmm. and then the winner of that would play Kentucky in the in the final four. Who do you got? Um all right, so I watch I watch a lot of college basketball, Mike. Um, Kentucky is the best team. They they can win in the most um most different ways. They have shooters, they have size, et cetera. They have four guys or three guys who'll be drafted in the top ten, whatever it may be. Um Two things stick out for me. Wisconsin could win um, if they can get uh, Kentucky or whoever they play, literally in any one of the games, if they can get teams to play their speed, run their swing offense, keep the game in the 50s, 60s, they could win. Kaminsky could bring out any of those big guys to the three-point line, create space that doesn't usually exist. That's Wisconsin. UVA on the other side of the bracket could do the same thing, but for more of a guard-oriented play. But it's those teams that can change the game. You're not going to beat Kentucky at what they do. Uh, Duke isn't going to go in, and win in against the Kentucky playing down low with Okafor. He'll get overwhelmed by the size. Um, so, yeah, I look at it like it's going to have to be a team who can slow it down, make it different. So UVA on the uh, out of the east uh, or maybe Wisconsin uh, out of the, uh, the Midwest, but okay. I, I think Kentucky wins it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm just excited for it, man. I read that Valpo piece, started getting me excited for March Madness. It's a good time of year. It helps take us away and then segue right into the NBA playoffs. I know both of you guys – We'll have all of your attention on the NBA the entire time. Uh, yeah, anyhow, sure. Right. Um, but uh Mike, do you have a, a prediction? Uh, Pray to that is. Do you have a prediction? Bold prediction for uh, anything that's going to be coming oh, yes. up in the next
1: week. This week's bold prediction. Last week's didn't work
0: out well, so well. Just I quick, uh, quick recap. Last week, Mike picked uh, Willie Green to have some like random amount of points, and that's six points. And he had a he had a, did he, a DMP. Yeah, he didn't play. Okay, I, good, I so. predicted
1: he goes six points on three of eight against Milwaukee, and he uh, didn't play. So what's this week's? So this week. This week, I predict Sacramento Kings big man Jason Thompson will score four points and grab three rebounds in 21 minutes in
0: Friday's game against the Charlotte Hornets off the bench. (laughs) Take it to the bank. Uh, Man, that's all the time we have for this week, unfortunately. But I'm Ben Epstein. I'm here with Mike Prada. Nick Offenberg, as always, our technical producer, helping us make the sound quality what we want it to be and allowing us to technologically call in someone like our special guest today Michael Pina I really appreciate you calling in man I know it's a time difference and you're a busy man freelancing for every sports publication that exists so I really appreciate it man to our listeners please subscribe if you can to our podcast it's on iTunes you can follow us on SoundCloud we're also up on platform join the conversation get in there give your comments Mike and I do respond Usually hate filled. Well, not all the time hate filled. That's at sbnation.com backslash mba, and then also on Twitter. Where can you find yourself on Twitter, Prada? You can find me at
1: uh, Mike Prada, spelled like the handbag company, but not pronounced that way. Mike Prada,
0: SBN on Twitter. Uh, Mike Pina, where can we find you uh, socially? Uh,
2: at Michael V. Pina.
0: People, follow him, follow Prada, follow Pina. <laughs> and until then, Stay tuned for the next episode of the Limited Upside Podcast on SBNation.com.